Tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you who you are. I'm Hamburger Haas. Welcome to Game Shows, I Suppose. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this niche podcast about the one thing that I know something about, game shows, I suppose. I am your host, Jordan Haas. We have a fantastic episode today. The iconic culinary game show, Iron Chef, will be discussed today with my good friend, Matt. Oh, man, I haven't talked to him in so long, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the 60-minute duel of culinary expertise But before we get to that, we got to get through the news. Well, first of all, I just want to say I've been watching that Survivor. Well, what did they call it? It's not Tournament of Champions or a Championship. It's like the Survivor Winners at War. I believe that's what it's called. With all all champions, winner, survivor. I I like that format. I like the fact that this is like a big tribute because 20 years of Survivor, 40 seasons, and it's this big kind of uh, who's who a survivor playing, except for Richard Hatch uh, playing. Uh, but you know what? I've been seeing it, and you know what? It so far might be my favorite season of Survivor. I mean, like, I, I think it's a good gimmick. I want to see if how much of a tribute to Survivor they're actually going to go with it. But I feel like they should probably, like, end Survivor after this season. <laughs> But they're not going to, something tells me, and they're just going to keep it going. But so far, I've been enjoying it. I like the idea of the torch tokens or fire tokens, or whatever they're calling it, the little currency. Because I love a game mechanic like that in, in a lot of games. Because now you put currency in the game, and you put that for trades, or you put that for shopping, or you put that for supplies. And it, it makes it interesting. Uh, anyway, speaking of financials, uh, according to CNN Business, it's game over for HQ Trivia. That's their headline, not mine. The company behind the once popular mobile game is shutting down. Seen in business has learned HQ will be part of lives with 25 full-time employees. Launched in 2017, HQ Trivia attracted millions of people across the world and then stopped when they were doing twice a day. And, well, it's it's come to an end. Uh, it raised $50 million at a $100 million valuation in March 2018. Previously, it raised $8 million, and it just... Uh, and all sorts of sponsorships, lots of different promotionals, lots of money given away. And uh, I I would normally be like spending my time here going through HQ going, well, it didn't work out. I kind of saw that coming. It was just a marketing gimmick. But uh, to me, HQ was at one moment a big, important thing in the world of smartphones and interactive technology. And I appreciate that. I enjoy the fact that that existed, at least for some smart time. Because of what it brought to people. Yeah, you're playing like a quiz game for like a dollar maybe to win. But it, it was still an interesting format. And uh, you, you you got a career out of that with, with Scott Rogrowski. And eventually I will be talking about HQ on the show. There will be a full-on HQ a dissection piece. 
I know a lot more people cared about the phone app thing than me. Uh, I know you go to Game Show Gumbo Cast, they do that um, all the time. Uh, but I think uh, Cindy's doing Reward the Fan than HQ. Uh, that this was kind of a uh, this is kind of a turning point in the world of the uh, phone app, and that's kind of you know it's a good with a bad in my mind. Um, very very uh, disappointing, but I knew it was going to have to eventually go because there was no way to financially work on that unless you cut advertising or a way to make money or do like a Chuck E. Cheese ticket thing. It wasn't going to uh, work in the in the long run. Uh, and plus with the passing of the CEO and from what I'm hearing from Scott Rogowski, uh, there is some backlash also. Here is Scott Rogowski's uh, tweet. HQ didn't die of natural causes. It was poisoned with a lethal cocktail of incompetence, arrogance, short-sightedness, and sociopathic delusions. Saddened to see it finally succumb. Sadder still for the good and talented staff abruptly left in the lurch after being gaslit and lied to. I appreciate all the kind messages to my local HQDs. I share your frustrations and condolences in case you missed. I left HQ at the end of last March to take a job with Major League Baseball hosting change upon change up on Dazen. Dazen? D-A-Z-N. I know it's D-A-Z-N. It's a sports network, but like I've never really knew what to pronounce it. Oh, oh well. I've been happier taking my favorite sport baseball and working with wonderful people. I'm forever grateful for the wild ride I took of HQ. From the terrifying lows to dizzying highs to the creamy middles. Now let's get down to the nitty gritty and get these fine folks a new job. And then adds to a lot of people. Uh, this is how I win. <laughs> Meme with... Uh, uh, from from uh, Uncut Gems, how we how we bling, uh, and also a YouTube video uh, he linked to four hours ago. For those still curious, how HQ failed so spectacularly. This video gives the best overview analysis of the company I've seen or read yet, and it was published last April. HQ trivia failed immunity and banished toast equals game over. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's a thing. You know what? I am glad Scott's moved on to bigger, better things. He definitely is a personality that I love to see on television, and I'm glad he's he's doing stuff that he enjoys. I think HQ was an interesting concept, but it sounds to me like most like most Silicon Valley venture capitalist ideas, it's going to be flushed down the toilet, uh, and and that's where I see the future of a lot of these uh, concepts. Uh, now we got to get through some more sad news. Uh, the Price is Right has been suspended. Not the show itself because of bad ratings or any of this. Uh, it's nothing to do with the show. It has to do with uh, the host, Drew Carey. Uh, I, I feel for Drew in this case. Uh, this is some heartbreaking news. Um, Drew's uh, former uh, ex fiance Amy Harwick, uh, passed away o- over the week. And... Uh, and it, it was very short notice, and uh, this really did bother Drew enough that uh, for the sake of the production, they had to stop tape and uh, give him some time to breathe. And I think we should all respect that. We should all respect Drew's wishes, and this is really a, a heartbreaking time. Um, so if you, uh, what happened was uh, Amy uh, fell from a balcony at her house um, because a former boyfriend of hers attacked her after a restraining order against them expired. Uh, This was according to the LA Times. Uh, Drew was mourning, as was a lot of people in the circle, um, 
because of her dedicated job as a therapist, a lot of people also had a more personal connection uh, with her. Uh, so, so it's very, very tragic news. I know people are trying to make jokes about this. I, I think I heard Wendy Williams try to do like a, like a joke about Price is Right being frozen and uh, because of this, but it's, it's not the right time, Wendy. Um, and uh, I mean, like, death, death is always a, a, a sad state of affairs. And uh, I know for Drew, he, he really liked her. And uh, it was one of those cases where it's right for them to freeze the production until this gets better. Um, I, you can always say it in like multiple ways. Like for one, uh, Price is Right's a happy, feel-good show. If you're Drew in the situation right now, how can you pretend to be pretend everything's okay when almost your entire world just crashed upon you? So I wish all the best for Drew and anyone who's who's uh, been affected by this. Domestic abuse is just a, a troubling thing, and um, yeah, even I'm kind of heartbroken by this. Um, I guess we'll continue with uh, more news. Uh, for fans of Love Island in the UK, presenter Caroline Flack passed away at the age of 40 by suicide. Uh, Sky News wrote a little comment. We can confirm that our Caroline passed away. This is from the family. Uh, February 15th, we would ask the press to respect the privacy of the family at this difficult time. We would ask no attempt to contact and photograph. Uh, so if you've ever seen Love Island UK in, on Hulu, uh, she was the presenter of that. Um, she was removed as the host in December and replaced by Laura Whitmore, following allegations that she assaulted her boyfriend, uh, which was tennis player Lewis Burden. Uh, this is set to be on trial March 4th, but before the trial can do, uh, suicide. Uh, she was an actress from Bo Selecta. Uh, she, she, I remember her from Gladiators, and I remember her from I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now. Uh, she was a winner of Strictly Come Dancing on BBC. Uh, and I remember her from, like, Big Brother's Big Mouth. I remember her from, uh, what was it? I think she did. She did. I'm going to double check. She was on uh, the whole 19 Yards over in the UK. The show I remember her most for was the whole 19 yards. Uh, people forget about that show because it only lasted eight episodes in the UK. Uh, it was hosted by Vernon Kay and uh, Caroline was the games guru. So she was always on the sidelines explaining what she has to, what you have to do. And uh, to me, this also caught me by surprise. Like, like this has just been a very morbid, uh, depressing, uh, week of game shows. Um, you know, it was like I was trying to come up with all sorts of like fun uh, concepts. Um, so here is here's some, I guess. Here's some some uh, news that's, I guess, better. Uh, if you're a fan of The Masked Singer, and I know it's one of the biggest shows on network television right now. Uh, I mean, I called it. Uh, Masked Singer is going to a national tour in 2020. Uh, bringing the TV series to North America, presented by Live Nation. It kicks off May 28th in Detroit, Michigan, before continuing in 45 more states, inclu 
sorry, 45 more cities among the locations, Atlanta, Chicago, Boston, D.C., Philly, and Los Angeles. Uh, uh, your favorite characters will come to life on stage as well as a few surprise celebrity guests. They'll make appearances. Amazing new performances and spectacular can't-miss moments will be part of the live show experience. Um, and then they're just linking to all the dates here on the TV Insider. Uh, the Orpheum Theater on August 1st, for instance, if you are a fan, if you are in Los Angeles. Uh, I, this is interesting. I mean, I... I and the live show featured two celebrity guest hosts as well as one local celebrity who will be a top secret disguise. For more information, themaskedsingertour.com. So that's the, I guess I got to plug that, the, the maskedsingertour.com. I don't know if this means like T-Pain's going to show up or you're going to see Chaka Khan, but who knows? And that, that seems a bit interesting. Uh, unless they're just going to get like randos in the costumes. I, I mean, I don't know. But it sounds to me like if you're doing Mass Singer, you better put the celebrities in the damn costumes and then like have them sing. Uh, <laughs> you don't really need like Jenny McCarthy Wahlberg, or uh, or uh, you don't really need Robin Thicke. But it's it's still a fun show. I still watch the Mass Singer because they pair it up with uh, with Lego Masters, and I think that's a great combination. Uh, that's what makes my Wednesdays now. And you know what? It's a feel good Wednesday. Uh, next. Oh boy, I guess we gotta get to some of these. Yeah, right. All right. Will Wheaton to host esports reality competition series exclusive. Is this that Fozzie thing for Quibi? Is this that Fozzie House Quibi show? Let's see. Game Master places twelve aspiring gamers. Oh Jesus Christ. So WCG Ultimate Gamer, the tester. Uh, what what else did we see here? We we saw the the Nick Nick Arcade, Starcade. I had to come up with all the the game game shows about gaming. A new esports reality competition series hosted by Will Wheaton is coming this spring. Of course it will. Uh, Games Master places twelve amateur aspiring esports athletes under one roof, where they will live together and compete for a one hundred thousand dollar grand prize. Each week, a contestant will be sent home with the season culminating in a one-on-one battle between the top two competitors. The nine-episode season will debut on an unspecified streaming service. It's either a new one that has not been announced yet, like HBO. Like, it, it didn't say HBO Max. It didn't say Quibi, which it could be Quibi, by the way. Uh, or it could be uh, something else, like a new one, like a new CISO. What's the new CISO? It's not Hulu. It's not Netflix. I got to figure out, like, what's the game service going to be? What is this gaming reality show? What service is this going to wind up into? Because if it's if it's one-on-one, because something tells me I'm going to read more about this, but I, I think I can figure out what the, the format is. <clears throat> Games Masters produced by Georgia-based Peach Maria Productions and Santa Clara tech company AMD. Okay, so AMD's processing. It could just be on the AMD website. Like, uh, hey, buy these uh, gaming computers, uh, please. Let's say to work on the big and small screen. Uh, Will Wien's resume. Uh, he will host the South by Southwest Gaming Awards in the South by Southwest system in Austin, Texas, and host a Game Master panel alongside executive producer and show creator John Culp. Who? 
who who is John Culp? Executive producer Lori Locklier and head writer Michael Sololon Sokolon on March twenty first. Games Master takes the love of gaming and elevates it to a whole new level through the first immersive multi-platform head-to-head competition for both casual and diehard gaming fans, says Culp. Our players won't play the same game from noon tonight. They will play different games throughout, and at the end, the person who has the best cumulative score will be crowned the champion. Really? They're doing the score? Okay. In recent years, esports has become a booming industry, offering prize pools of upwards of $3 million for the Fortnite World Cup and League of Legends. All right, with broadcasters such as Turner, ESPN. Uh, you know what? This could be on the, uh, what is that? Uh, what is that That uh, network that has, uh, what's the, the not not Fight Network. What is the, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, it's it's like, not like Fight Pass. It's the, uh, if you're in the UK and you can get like AEW Wrestling, it's the sports channel. Is that DAZN? Is that Dazen? Maybe that's what they're going for. Um. Games Master also has this weird uh, 80s cyberpunk look to it. It's also trying to go for the Japanese uh, calligraphy pseudo Blade Runner aspect, which is kind of cool in a retro game feel, but at the same time, I don't know. I still don't know about this. Uh, I, I See, I thought the format was going to be 10 people live in a house. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a few games, like three games, scoring-wise, the weakest of the games go to the elimination round. The biggest winner picks who goes to the elimination round. Head-to-head match, who stays, who goes. Rinse, repeat for nine episodes. Because the ninth episode, you'll have one player left. But uh, th- th- this seems like an interesting format, to say the least. Because each elimination is one per episode. Uh so I don't know what games are going to do. I guess they're going to look for sponsorships. It looks like this might be f- to promote AMD hardware. Uh, it could just be like something on Steam. It could just be like a video for Steam Workshop or uh, some new service that we have not heard of. But I'm not. Fe- I'm so far. I as much as I love video games and as much as I think gaming content could be gamified into a game show, I don't know about this one. I mean, this sounds like the most straightforward gaming format uh, so far. But between Will Wynn's name. And live in a house in a hundred thousand dollars. I I don't feel it. I don't feel this to me doesn't scream. The, this needs to have the same appeal as the nationals to me. This needs to have the same appeal as a as the World Cup or or like like well, like, like like when you see like esports because the whole gimmick of this is supposed to be esports, right? Like the, we're supposed to be like saying these are esports athletes. The problem is. Esports athletes typically are only good at one or two games, and it's usually like uh, an FPS game, a fighting game, what have you. That something like this seems to be a little out of line in the world of esports because they're going to look for the all-around gamer. So who's good at fighting games? Who's good at shooting games? Who's good at adventure games? Who's good at puzzle games? And that doesn't really gel well in the world of uh, esports. I should just say that. Um it's okay to do esports things, but uh, your appeal is trying to be esports people. So you got to make sure this has the same bravado, this has the same uh, theatrics as like watching an Overwatch championship or watching uh, I, I don't know uh, what what uh, was it Hearthstone, like a Hearthstone championship on Twitch. 
or Evo. Evo's coming up. Can this compete with Evo? And in my mind, not really. But who knows? I could be wrong. Finally, in the world of game shows, have you heard the wall was built to change lives? Remember when I do Chris Hardwick impressions? Remember when I did the Chris Hardwick impression? It's, uh, it's kind of like this. It's just kind of like, you know, just like talk about stuff. You know, it's like, you know, he's a big friend of Will Whedon too, by the way. So it's like a good transition. You can like transition from Will Whedon to uh, Chris Hardwick. And it's always hard like this because, you know, it's always what we do. It's what we do with this with Chris Hardwick. Anyway, uh, I guess because they need to burn off these episodes, uh, the wall is going to be on the air February 24th. Uh, on 7 p.m. Sundays, they are burning off these episodes, uh, probably because they want to make sure the people get there like 20 grand or something and then call it a day. This is LeBron James's first game show, The Wall. It was a success for a bit with Andrew Glassman casting. Some bad thing happened, and now it's kind of just fizzled out. Uh, coming off the wake of Deal or No Deal tells me this is the second game show NBC has kind of decided to push back. So that leaves The Voice, America's Got Talent. Uh, that also leaves Ellen's Game of Games and uh, Hollywood Game Night uh, on, on the surface. So if I had to take a guess here, if I legit have to take a speculative guess, my guess is that the re- they're burning off the wall, obviously. The deal or no deal is gone, right? And Ellen's doing very successful as well as uh, America's Got Talent, The Voice, and uh, Hollywood Game. It's kind of, I don't know what the numbers were on that. I think they got another season because it's easy to do the cheap plugs. It's kind of a nice, lighthearted summer series. My bet is, if I had to take a real bet, they're they're trying to burn off the show so they can end it easily, so they can make way for two game show announcements. I don't know which game shows. Do not, I, something tells me, it it's might one might be like concentration or weakest link and another is going to be entirely new format i do know they have the rights to small fortune so they're looking for some place to put small fortune um but it could very well be first and last i don't see one versus 100 although it could be back i don't see fear factor although it could be back i think it's going to be a classic in-studio game show i think you're going to see our in-studio game show return and then you're going to see a new format show up I don't know if it's like minute to win it. I don't know what's the in studio format, but I'm going to see. I'm I'm predicting right now two game shows will be announced, uh, one in studio and that has a name recognition, not just small fortune like recognition, and a second that is a new format that we haven't heard about until probably April. So mark my words, around April we'll get an announcement of a brand new game show. And we'll also be uh, seeing a new in-studio revival of an NBC classic. Riders 21, Concentration, one of those. Um, but that's my prediction. I could be wrong. I'm usually, that's usually my speculation because if they cancel Deal or No Deal on CNBC, that tells me, well, they, they, it's not they don't trust game shows. It's just that wasn't the right network. They're getting rid of the wall. So that's telling me they don't have faith in that game show. They have a lineup of game shows. They're usually the ones that usually are the first to jump the gun if it's not ABC. So something's telling me there's going to be a surprise in a couple of months. Uh, NBC, I'm watching you. Please don't mess this up. Don't bring back The Apprentice. Please don't. Um, 
but uh, if if not, hey, uh, oh no, uh, I'm reading the this uh, press release. This is also something that happened. Uh, get ready for an all-new super drop when all seven balls rain down in a waterfall drop that takes the total prize each night to more than $13 million. But with more rewards comes more risk and the potential to lose it all. Every question, every decision could cost the difference of millions of dollars. Maybe, maybe that's something that caused the wall to crash. Someone did a gimmick format point and it didn't work out and crashed a whole lot of money. Maybe that's what happened. I I have no idea. I'm just speculating on this. Sometimes things like this always fascinate me. It's like, maybe that's why the wall didn't really pick up. The new format point must have must have stunk, um, which is why you'd never do format points. Folks, stop trying to do gimmicks and twists to the game show format. Just keep it the same. It's fine. You don't see them like doing that many new gimmick twists on match game. They did like a visual gag once and eh. Pyramid doesn't do that. Card Sharks might not do that. Press Your Luck might not do that. Look at these classic formats. They don't mess with any format point. I mean, when when you see format points do a new twist to a game, usually it spells disaster in my mind. Unless it's like an innovative format like a video daily double or an audio daily double. If it's not there, usually it spells disaster. You're not trying to do Wheel of Fortune, folks, when you do a gimmick every season. Do something interesting. Keep it going. When people want more, you give them more. It's that simple. Oh, well. Uh, so that's the end of a lot of news. Uh, now let's start today's episode. <laughs> Chicago firefighting brothers, Stephen and Brian, have been rivals since childhood. Brian, struggling to prove himself, transfers to the arson unit. There, he aids Don in his investigation into a spate of fires involving oxygen-induced infernos. But, when a conspiracy implicating a crooked politician in an arsonist leads Brian back to Stephen, he is forced to overcome his brotherly competitiveness in order to crack the case. This is the synopsis of the 1991 film Backdraft, which serves as the theme song to the legendary game show Iron Chef. In each episode of this iconic Japanese game show, we see a title card with an iconic quote from French food author Jean-Antoine Belle-Savant, which first appears, Tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you what you are. This is in reference to Vladimir Lenin's, Show me who your friends are, and I will tell you what you are. 
in the world of Kitchen Stadium. This is supposed to be uh, demonstrating the storyline of Chairman Kaga as he realizes his dream in a form never seen before and constructed a cooking arena known simply as Kitchen Stadium. Kitchen Stadium is one of the most iconic sets of any culinary game show. Uh, as it is formulated to be one of a Coliseum-based auditorium. In each episode, we see one challenger take on a master chef in a head-to-head competition where with 60 minutes, they have to create five dishes using one mystery ingredient. But is there more than just what I've been telling you? Is there truth to the story, or has there been other game shows that have been stirring the pot ever since this show existed? Join me now as we discuss with my friend Matt the culinary classic game show known simply as Iron Chef. A la cuisine. Go cook. I mean, turn the table. With me on the line, friend of the show, culinary expert, Canadian pal, it is good old normal Matt. <laughs> Matt. What's up? And when, when you say culinary, we're, we're talking about food. We're talking about, uh, which is, um, you know, I'm generally an oaf. I'm not very smart. Um, I got my first restaurant job when I was 13 years old. I started cooking eventually when I was 13. I am now almost 30. <laughs> I I am 30. <laughs> so yeah. this is... Uh... I, got, I got 16 years of cooking under my belt though so so you're perfect for all these culinary game shows we have down the line here I we did, did so. chopped though we already did chopped but uh which is like to when, what chopped is actually based on something you have to do when you do your red seal is you're given what's called a black box um and then you have to uh basically you're, you're given ingredients you're not 100 percent sure what they're going to be and you have to build a menu around them a la carte and uh, it, it, so I've been told I don't have my reds. You're you're, but you you do have your you do have the Jordan hops. Last time we were here, you were creating the Jordan hops. I was. We we uh, we had a good uh, hot cider that I made that I think you probably would have been a fan of. And it became apparently a, a top tier flavor. Yeah, it was a very good cider that is now gone and everyone loved. Now you have to make sure you replicate that ingredient over and over again. Um, but we are going to do the granddaddy of these cooking shows. No, not ready, steady cook. No, no, no. We are doing the big old Iron Chef. Iron fucking chef. Uh, I showed uh, Matt uh, Iron Chef Japan, a bit of Iron Chef America, a bit of Iron Chef Australia. There's an Iron Chef Canada, which I did not know about till today. <laughs> I knew there was an Iron Chef Canada because I have been in the same circle of a... I've been in the same circles of an, uh, a chopped competitor from Canada, but I've also been in the same circle as an Iron Chef from Canada. So I was aware there was an Iron Chef Canada. This is the show that really catapulted the culinary game show atmosphere. Without this show, I don't think there would have been a chop. There would have not been a uh, cutthroat kitchen. No, not a lot of things out there. This is the like. This is a huge. This is the Iron Chef of cuisine. Iron Chef of cooking. <laughs> And the thing is also it like made a lot of people who weren't really interested in cooking like interested in cooking it like like as crappy as my opinion is of Iron Chef it did get a lot of people curious about cooking. <laughs> 
it did, and it was fun watching like the history of Iron Chef and watch it deteriorate over time. Yes, but it didn't like create like a mainstream cooking movement because like it's not so much in Europe where it's a good paying job. And if I was in Europe, you know, I'd be making tons of money and I have benefits and a pension. Where in Canada, like it, that, or anywhere in North America, that's not the case. Um, You'd be treated like shit. You'd be like, ah, fuck. Which also goes to tell you about the show itself, because that's also kind of the customs with, I guess, all of the other countries. Yeah. But, like, like it did create, like, a, a shift in social perspective, or perspective of um, cooking, the cooking industry, because it kind of made it, like, this cool and almost, like, rock star thing to do. So... I guess I will go straight into the what's the default basic rules of Iron Chef. Like, if you've never seen Iron Chef before, it's okay. There is a kitchen stadium, a, st- a studio that looks like a, a gladiator arena full of stoves and ovens and, and ice cream machines and ov- ovens. Uh- <laughs> I, I, as a chef, I want to point out, no, cook, not a chef. I, I want to point out it's um, all gas, which is very important. Why do you think it's not electric? Uh, electric just doesn't heat as well. Okay. Induction just doesn't heat as well. They do. Uh, they had gas. Even they had it when they were doing the walks and shit on the Japanese one. It was all gas. So they have. It, it is a set, but it is like if you work in a restaurant, you would be working on these ranges. You would be working with these ovens. <laughs> the only electric piece I had saw was like a convection oven, which is like what you would be working with in a restaurant. And there's microwaves, too, if you really need to use a microwave. You know the restaurant joke about microwave? Oh, what is it? If you got to put something in the microwave, it's like, give it to Chef Mike. <laughs> He's the fastest one in the kitchen, and you never... You never know. Uh... <laughs> that, that, that's a joke. That's like every every Chef Mike. He's the fastest, and he never complains. He never complains. He just screams at you sometimes. Exactly. Beep, 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 beep. All right. Uh, so here's how it works. There is a kitchen stadium, all these gas ingredients, and then there are iron chefs, uh, chosen by the producers, or I guess for folklore, the chairman of, of kitchen stadium, uh, the overlords, the overlords of culinary cuisine of a certain country based on what essentially is their regional styles of, of cooking. For instance, in Japan, it is Chinese, Japanese, Italian, and French. Yeah, I didn't get that vibe off the American one. It was very chaotic in what they were doing. It, it's uh, I I'm I think we'll get into it just a bit. Like we, it's like it's supposed to be like I I, I mean like if we're going American, it was there's there was by the way tons of Iron Chefs in the very yeah. first version when they were in L.A. They had Wolfgang Puck be one of the Iron Chefs, and then when they they said, oh, we're gonna actually make this a series and go to New York. He's like, uh, I'm good. <laughs> uh, and it's it's all your favorite Iron Chef, such as Bobby Flay, famous for pulled pork sushi and uh, I, I, picking I, fights. I, yeah, like, fucking Bobby Flay, like his whole claim to fame, like why his restaurant was like a big deal to whoever was going there, is he got famous off the fact that he just put pulled pork in a fucking sushi roll. And like white trash people, but this is the first sushi I ever had. You you had Mario Batali, who we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> Something happened with him. No, don't know what happened to that crock wearing guy. Um, then you had Mashiro Morimoto, Morimoto, 
is the Iron Chef of not just here uh, for Iron Chef Japanese, but also of Iron Chef Japanese in the Japanese run. Uh, then you had a, a whole bunch of other people, Kat Cora, uh, hashtag LGBT win. Uh, you had, uh, Michael Simon, Iron Chef Mediterranean, allegedly. Jose Garcia, Garza, you got Mark, Fr- Zachary Zakarian, Mark Frigione, who's my favorite because he has a little mohawk, that dude. Um, and then it gets into what I call, like, the, the Food Network run. Even though, like, Mario Batali and Bobby Flay were both, like, Food Network stars, it started to really now become, like, oh, we got the Food Network stars in here. Because then you got Jeffrey Zakarian and Alex Garnaschelli, both of which were judges on Chopped <laughs> before being an Iron Chefs. And then you had Stephanie Izzard, who won. By the way, this is the funniest one. Stephanie Izzard won a game show called Iron Chef Gauntlet. And the final premise was if you beat these two Iron Chefs, you become an Iron Chef. She won, but there's no more Iron Chef episodes, so it's no point. Jesus Lord. Like, they tried to do all of these different ways to make Iron Chef, and there's like, next Iron Chef, and that's how you got Alex Garnachelli and Zakarian. They had Iron Chef Gauntlet. They had Iron... It's like, Food Network did so many fucking Iron Chef spinoffs. If I... It's dweeby. To me, it's dweeby, and I think it... And if you ever see Iron Chef America... It's so overproduced. It's so oversaturated. It feels like I am not watching a great like cooking competition show. It looks like something where the food doesn't matter. The game doesn't matter. None of this actually fucking matters. Yeah. So the... It, it, <laughs> it's definitely pornographic. It's, it's all about the sensationalism. It's all about the spectacle. It's yeah. it's all it's all just optics. It's all supposed to be optics. It's 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 really American thing. It's does it look nice to you? Well, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if it tastes good. It looks nice. <laughs> what I notice, and like I like, I hope I can talk. What I notice between the American and the Japanese, like the American or the Japanese version, it was like the the, the special ingredient was pork belly, which is like this beautiful cut of meat. It's tricky to work with. It usually requires a lot of time to work with pork belly, and they were only given 60 minutes. Like, I would strain to figure out what to do with pork belly in 60 minutes. But they still did, like, these beautiful dishes, and, like, it is a very centric dish. Um, In the American version, it was like, oh, you know, cucumber. And, like, none of the dish dishes, like, you can't have cucumber be the star of the dish. It was just... Dishes featuring cucumber, but it just felt like they just did that to, you know, be like, whoa, that's crazy. It's all, no, it's so rough because it, by the way, like some of this stuff is like, we're not just to, just so we're like, say like sometimes the secret ingredient is something good, like duck, for instance, like you can do something with duck. You can do something with egg or, but, but imagine seeing all of these fancy ingredients that have some cerebral thinking attached and then we're well, going it's like into- the episode we watched he's like yeah it's i braised lamb and put fucking uh almonds and cucumber on it's like yeah that's gonna be delicious but that's not a cucumber dish that's a very good dish i'm sure featuring cucumber Oh, no, it, it, I'm not even going into some of the specialty gimmicks yet. I am saving some of these just for the live reactions. <clears throat> Hell yeah. Okay, so the rules are simple. You 
versus an Iron Chef. Now, the perception is that you get to pick the Iron Chef right then and there. Mm-hmm. You don't. But we'll pretend you did because it's spectacle. It's all about spectacle on the show. The spectacle is supposed to be this is what it alludes to. And I'm going to tell you the reality. You versus an Iron Chef are your choice. Then I reveal a secret ingredient, and then you have an hour to cook five dishes using the secret ingredient. Uh, this yeah. ingredient must be accompanied in all five of your dishes. You can make more if you have time. Don't know. It's a risk-reward element. When the 60 minutes are up, you give those dishes to the judges, and then they reward based on uh, three types of thing, which is taste, presentation, and originality. Ten, five, and five per judge, up to 20 points. Most points wins. Yeah. Now, that's the that's the rules of what it looks like on the show. Now let's go into the bullshit reality world of Iron Chef. Because <laughs> I so, figured... So I, I'm assuming like it's a crock of shit. Oh, it's... Oh, boy. Do I love it to say this is the crock of shit show. <laughs> so let's just assume. I... Let's just let's just play for fun here. Uh, let's say to Matt here. Matt... You're a dignified uh, Michelin star chef. You work at a hotel famous for Canadian fusion cuisine, we'll say. Uh, And then the producer says, hey, I'm with Food Network's Iron Chef, and we want to know if you wanted to be a contestant. Well, obviously I do, because, like, I want that exposure from my restaurant. You will get you will get to promotion your restaurant. You actually get to bring in your people. We will say your, your, your uh, restaurant multiple times during the show. It's a good plug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you interested? Well, it's a very long commercial, so yes. Oh, neat. Okay, so um, we just need you to know, like, um, what kind of style would you recommend fighting against? Because, I mean, like, we have someone who does, like, southern food. We have someone that does French, someone that does Italian. <laughs> what do I recommend putting me against? Yeah. Like, in order for me to lose. Because we want you to bring out the best. We want you to be like a, a nice fight, you and the best in, in your field. Would would you be interested in uh in going against Bobby Flay or <laughs> Well, I will say since I am not um I am self taught, I am not uh, taught through a school of any kind. I would probably be weakest against traditional French okay. or traditional Italian. Okay, so you say Italian then. Okay, so Alex Carnicelli then. Okay. So, it'll be you versus Alex Carnicelli. All right. Um, so, because you're, you're going for more Italian. All right. How do you feel about Parmesan cheese? I feel like that's a cheese you can use. I feel like it's a good cheese. It's versatile. All right. Okay. How do you feel about tomato? That's a good ingredient. You can use it for a lot of things. Mushroom? Is mushroom okay? Mushroom is a good ingredient. Okay. So, heads up. Uh, in Are you available in next month? Because we yes, will have you up against a, Alex Garnaschelli. If I was a chef, I would say no. But like, if you're like, next month, if you want to go up against the chef, it's like, fuck, I need this. Yes. Yeah, and you're not winning anything, by the way. It's no cash prize. But yeah. <laughs> So you're up yeah. against Alex Garnaschelli. And uh, so heads up, it'll be you and Alex. I will let her know. Uh, the, it, it's either going to be Parmesan cheese, tomato, or mushroom. Okay. Uh, if it and we're I'd gonna be five hundred really bucks for shopping. Anchovies. Here's five hundred bucks. If you can just tell me if if it was Parmesan cheese, what would you like? If it was tomato, what would you like? And if it was mushroom, you're like, we'll tell you it's gonna be five different varieties of mushroom. Here they are. If it's Parmesan cheese, we have pre-grated, we have whole grade, we have all sorts of cheese. 
And if it's tomato, we have all sorts. We have fresh, we have Roma, we have canned, we have cherry. Well, if we're talking traditional Italian ingredients, which we have named off, like if it was like traditional Italian ingredients, I would struggle with the anchovy. Well, with the humble anchovy. Oh, well, if you want an anchovy battle, I just I'm, I'm telling you up front, it's an anchovy battle. Uh, if you could <laughs> just if you can just tell me like what would you need. Uh, if you were going to create five dishes in advance with a five hundred dollar budget, that would be great. <laughs> five hundred. Okay, so their their cost is five hundred. Five hundred bucks. They get well in advance for their shopping budget. Five hundred. Oh my god. Five hundred five courses, and the, the and they have to plate six <laughs> plates per dish. And the Food Network is playing Russian roulette with the main that they're giving them, right? No. What happens is they already buy the ingredients for the what's the official ingredient. So if you're oh, okay. saying, so for instance, if you're going to say it's like anchovy, you'll be like, okay, I would like some black olives. I would like uh, something sour. Mm-hmm. So I would like some fresh lemons. I would like the, <laughs> but if it's cheese, okay. I would want fresh pizza. I want me- I want some mix. I would want some sort of this. And then it's like, okay. So it's tilted in the favor of the person going up against uh, the famous chef. Yeah. So then the famous chef already knows as well. Like if it's this, this or this, I want this, this or this. So then some poor PA has to go to a grocery store, buy all of your ingredients, put it behind the backstage, and then you have to do like a whole four like whole hour of you walking down a corridor and a and a line producer says, Yes, I am the best Italian chef. That's why I want Alex Garnaschelli. And then you point at, at like a fake cutout of Alex Garnaschelli. Then you see like a stand-in of Alex Garnaschelli, and then a close-up of Alex Garnaschelli in real life, just going, "Hmm, you really think you could take me on? Okay." Jesus. And then they both. Then you have to pose, and then you have to do a whole twenty minutes of pickups, where we get to reveal the secret ingredient under dry ice. We get yeah. reaction shots of you looking happy that it's actually uh, the mushroom battle. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I already got my ravioli in line. I already got soup in line. I got this in line. I mean, I, I would do fucking risotto. Risotto. And wow. by the way, and it's like, as Wild soon as, and, and then as you do the pickup oh, shots, by the way, as they do the pickup shots and you're doing all your, yeah, mushroom. Oh, you're going down, Alex. And then Alex is looking, mm-mm, you're, you're going to be toast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the PAs have to rush in and get you all and show off all your mushroom ingredients that you already selected predetermined. Like, oh, I'm making a risotto. I'm making all this. So there's your risotto rice. There's your ravioli ingredients. There's your soup ingredients. Arborio. It's arborio rice usually. Yeah. And then you had four. And now because you already have this, you already <clears> know it's <throat> mushrooms. You have 45 minutes of prep time. What are you making? What's the design? Do you need to boil some water? Do you need this? Probably an hour you're given 45 minutes or like... No, no, you get 45 minutes of prep time and then a la cuisine. (laughs) So you're given 45 minutes and then an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, excuse me? So then the hour is you basically running around, putting things in play, because that's all they want is you running and plating. You running and plating. You cutting plating running putting in the oven running cutting in the like just for the shot just for the shot. they don't give a shit <laughs> you're you're fucking blowing my mind right now so then there's audience pickups which by the way are all friends of the producers you can't get tickets to iron chef america because if you did you'd be sitting there for six hours not knowing what the fuck's going on <laughs> alton brown 
already has an auto cue lined up, reading about the history of mushrooms, already knows what you have planned. So you're going to be hearing, well, Matt's making a mushroom risotto. You know, the risotto is a, it's typically Italian, uh, but he's using a rose rice, which is famous because of its long, thin edges, which is perfect for when you're trying to mix and stir. Uh, also, he's using a heavy cream and butter. Now, butter's a key ingredient in this because it might be a little bit more salty to counter the mushroom. Did you know that this mushroom is region is in Roma, Italy? <laughs> Jesus, Lord in heaven. And we have 45 minutes left. <laughs> Blow your brains out on live TV. You no, know, you're still picking who gives a shit. You're just chopping up mushrooms, blending them. Maybe you're using it in a uh, in a beef wellington. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> You can do it. It doesn't matter. That's the funniest thing about Iron Chef America. To me, I couldn't make a, like, mushroom could be the ingredient, and I could just make a beef wellington. And it counts. And they'd be like, <laughs> it counts. Like, to me, that's fucked up, because, like, that's not a fucking mushroom-centric dish. That's a beef-centric dish. So then, as you pick up the food, let's introduce our judges. Here is a food critic from New York, and then here's Joel McHale, comedian. <laughs> And then, like, here's another celebrity. And then it's like, oh, let's keep going. Oh, Alex Garnaschelli is uh, making a mushroom uh, dessert dish now. Whoa. He's making mushroom ice cream. Alex is using the ice cream maker. Wow, can't believe it. He's Uh, struggling with a blast chiller, but he might actually serve us mushroom and uh, poo. Uh, ice cream and that's what that's what they did and then uh oh time ran out now i know what you're saying oh boy that means that it's time for the munch nope we still have another 15 minutes first we got to clean up the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> did they actually clean before the then the dishes the ones that you've plated are just going to be photoed and then you see it on the tray and then they take fake sips and fake eats and they take little fake bites or they do one bite and go oh man this is so fun but the, the, here's this trick are you ready that's all fucking cold at this point yeah here's i no- always wondered about that like that food's gotta be so the sous chefs have to either remake the dish that you already had oh my god <laughs> they microwave the dish and just reserve it <laughs> Or <laughs> I'm fucking floored right now. This or you just have to remake the entire dish without the 60 minute time limit. <laughs> Take Wait, your so time you on 60... it. Who cares? You you can remake the dish. Like so, if you as... fucked up and like, Take... oh man, I forgot to to plate it a certain way or grate the cheese. <laughs> Take your time, buddy. So then the judges do the plating and they get to eat the food for real. But it's we're doing dish after another dish. And, of course, if you're the one-iron chef, you have a whole hour of just talking with the judges because you need as much airtime as possible to fill in this five-minute place that you're in. <laughs> so you can have every judge say, for like, give you, like, ten minutes of going, like, this dish is delicious. What I love is the mushroom. You made mushroom the star of this dish. I love the fact that you use two varieties of dish. It's really delicious. A mushroom soup. Normally, a cream of mushroom soup doesn't taste good to me, but this is one of a kind, and that's why I enjoy it so much. But it's a little too salty. I wish you used a little bit more pepper or something to counteract the salt. <laughs> and then we have to cut to you. You look pissed. Have I ever told you the secret to my cream of mushroom soup? What is it? 
Uh, I use gin and a lot of it to get the fond off and serve it. I like put fresh rosemary in it to give it that flavor as well. So gin and rosemary. Gin and rosemary makes a fucking amazing cream of mushroom. So the soup. gin would actually like cook off than the alcohol. The alcohol cooks off. So, so that'd actually be really good now, actually. Yeah. Um, so you get kind of like some juniper flavor. You get flavor from the rosemary as well. It also sounds like something that would work for like a French onion for some reason. Yeah, probably. Um, and now we go to the Iron Chef. Rinse, repeat for 45 minutes. Yep. And now we cut to the reaction shot, the finale. Whose cuisine reigns supreme? Dramatic lighting, dramatic lighting. Cut to one, cut to the other. Reaction shot of them celebrating and shaking hands. <laughs> Everyone's a good sport. Everyone's a good sport. Doesn't matter if you won or lose. Doesn't matter if you beat the Iron Chef or not. Because typically no one gets like zero on the fucking show. Yeah. Now, unlike the Japanese version, because <laughs> I had to tell you, we had to do the overproduced version. In the Japanese version, you only had five minutes of prep time. Yeah. And you only ha- and you were told in advance uh, one of five secret ingredients. So it would be one of five? One of five but you did get to tell me what, what Iron Chef you had, just so you could be booked. Because what they did in their version was, basically, it was one day it's all Japanese, one day it's all Chinese, one day it's all... So that way we know to have that so one guy there. Very, it was a very regional show. Yeah. And it was five minutes of prep time. You only have five yeah. minutes, not 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, other than that, 60 minutes what's done is done and you only had 20 minutes of reheat time and redo time so they actually knew like okay it's gonna get cold legitimate show like a legit cooking show yeah and originally the rule was if you beat two if you be an iron chef you can return and if you be a second iron chef you can dethrone an iron chef and it becomes like a rotating championship belt so there's like rules and like yeah <laughs> stipulations and it was cool and then they kind of just dropped the beat two iron chefs it just became beat one iron chef you win if the iron and then iron chefs retire or they pick a new iron chef based on a certain cuisine uh and miyamoto kind of became the uh near the end the the definitive japanese iron chef uh but then you have people like uh Mashio Kobe, who was the Iron Chef Italian, which was like a new twist to the game. Like, it was just original three. And then here's Italian guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had Hiroyuki Sakai, who you looked at and was like, this is funny. This guy looks funny because he has a big mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And then Chen Kenichi, which was one we saw, the, the Iron Chef Chinese, which was fun because we got to see in our episode, which was Iron Chef Pork, which was a pork belly battle of Japan uh, episode was like two variants of Chinese cuisine. Yes. Cantonese and Sichuan. And we're like, whoa, I learned something today. (laughs) That is very cool and very interesting. Like China is a big country. It's very cool and um, interesting to see those styles like contrasted against each other. And then it's like, because it was a dub, I guess because dubs over subs. (laughs) Yeah. I, I we came to the conclusion that Iron Chef dubbed all the contest, like all of the judges and hosts, and made them sound very stupid. Um, pork belly, I, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also like that, like, like they're like, oh, pork belly. 
the American version where it's just like people being like gushing about cucumbers, which are like the most boring and bland and like which it's like a, I inflexible like ingredient out with that idea. They were they were more impassioned about cucumbers than like the subs were about like a fucking pork belly, which is like a beautiful piece of meat. And also like when we were watching the Japanese version, they told us how many different cuts of pork belly there was. Like there were certain cuts that had skin on certain that didn't. And they told us how many of each there was. This one, they kind of show like, here's all the varieties of cucumber we have. We have gherkin. It's Mexican. We have this kind we have that. And it's like, okay, that's sweet. To my understanding, they had no shorter. They had a pinwheel. <laughs> so I, before we get into more of Mar- of Marriage of America, which by the way had its own Wii game, I showed I showed Matt literally. I'm not kidding. I showed Matt like two minutes of like the video, the intro video of the game, and he, I just screamed until he, he screamed. Turned it turn off. that shit off. Turn that shit off. Which I, like makes sense. Like everything had a Wii game. Like it was like the shovelware console. It was such a. And there's a lore to uh, the show because the chairman Kaga of of Iron Chef, famous famous for eating that bell pepper in that one meme, the eat the bell pepper, <laughs> has a nephew, and the nephew is uh, is the is is uh, Mark. The, the, oh, no, it's not Mark. It's uh, yeah, it's Mark the uh, the Costco's, and he, instead of eating the bell pepper, he eats a green apple. You get it? Because <laughs> he because the big apple, because America. Yeah. And he kind of becomes like the chairman in Australia. <laughs> He's like the chairman of all sorts of other countries. And the idea is supposed to be that we need to bring Kitchen Stadium to other countries. So please do an American version. And I think it's only because of the Bobby Flay bonus min- millennium battle with Miyamoto in New York one time. That's the only reason why this whole damn thing exists. Yeah. Uh, and can, yeah. We, can we say that Bobby Flay looks like a poodle? Oh, you can, go, on, go on, say it again. <laughs> Bobby Flay looks like a poodle. Bobby Flay, you look like a poodle. What are you gonna do about it? If I get see, um, if I get like, yo, Bobby Flay, you listen to the, this podcast, um, and I know you do. Let's let's do a little cooking competition. Let's do a little throwdown, <laughs> Bobby Flay. If you're pissed that I said you look like a poodle, I'll cook against you. Okay, you you up for that, Bobby Flay? You, not me, not me. I'm not the I'm not the talented cook. <laughs> I'll lose, but I might knife him. JK, cut that part out. I won't do that. <laughs> no, you're not gonna. You're not knife. No, when he means knife him, he doesn't mean like physically. Like I'm gonna stab you, Bobby Flay. He means knife you like 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 a like a throw down like a like duel the knives son. like a like a cuttery competition like like chopped. I actually worked at a restaurant where um a couple of years before I started, I only worked here for brief, this restaurant very briefly. Um, it was some pub, but um the chef they had was just like horrific to the one dishwasher they had just abused him every single day just like emotionally like fucking devastated this kid and so one night the uh, chef is sitting at the bar and the dishwasher comes out to get something and nobody's really sure what the chef said the uh, dishwasher like comes back into the kitchen takes like three or four very big breaths just grabs the biggest knife he can find and walks out and apparently he stuck the chef like 16 times before Fuck. they were able to get him able to get him off him and then uh, <laughs> this is i i have lots of scary restaurants you watch shows like iron chef and like, oh it's a professional cool guys that like know what they're doing and they got tattoos and it's like oh no it's an it's an industry for damaged people 
<laughs> That's one way of looking at it. it. Which isn't fair, but like for me to frame it that way, but it's a lot of people who had no other option. Um, the culinary the culinary <laughs> industry is for people who couldn't cut it in the military. Oh, that probably sounds about right. Yeah, which is very offensive and not true, but like you know what though? You know what? I'll you know what though? I I will I will spin it. The people work in the kitchens of of, of North America. You are braver than the troops. Well, yeah, because they're not going out and they're not killing poutines and killing obese people. Which I mean, like genocide's bad, folks. <laughs> um, we don't we don't want to be a, a a film or Robert though. I um I've only had one customer die before. I, I that sounds like a very tragic story. <laughs> <laughs> um it was a uh pub and we did on um, a two for one um uh it was half off basically you know you come in and you get a uh, fish and chips and your extra piece of fish was half off so we had a lady come in and she would get a double fish and double french fry and i don't even think she's particularly big or anything but like she did this every week and she was in a wheelchair it was in an older part of town by older part of time, you know, like it was a community for older people. And just, you know, I put her fish up as I normally do. I know who it's for. And about 15 minutes later, like <laughs> the the dish or the uh, server comes down. And he's like, the paramedics are here. And I was like, oh, and he's like, yeah, she just died in the restaurant. She had a jammer, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, she had like a massive heart attack or something and just died in the fucking restaurant eating food I cooked. Which is kind of a trippy experience. I um, <laughs> I, I went to work at a hospital eventually, and like a lot of my job entailed making lime jello and serving lime jello to people. And um, eventually, I worked my way up, and I was working directly with patients. And you know, I'm, when I, when I was just like making jello, it was just like oh. Like, I'll put lime jello on a tray when someone orange. And, like, we all did that. And I was just like, whatever, who cares? It's fucking jello. And then, like, after, like, working with the patients directly, and then I'd go down to, like, do the trays and stuff, it was just like, yo, this could be this last person, the last memory of food someone has was getting the wrong jello. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if that's too heavy for the podcast. This is a feel-good podcast about game shows <laughs> you know and love. Talk about the a culinary cu- curveball. <laughs> the culinary industry has been very strange to me. Okay, so they they, they also added some, added some bullshittery to Iron Chef America. No shit. Uh, so feel free to cut so, most of what I've said out if you don't want like that rambly ass shit. No, I love it. I, that's the kind of stuff we we crave. We love it. So, in later seasons, they changed the outfits for the Iron Chef, so they all get their own unique outfit designed by Mark Echo. Was that, like, the one where, where the guy was, like, half blue and white? Yeah, like, like so now and everyone has their like own... The Italian, Italian flag, like, chef was. Yep. <laughs> That's all Mark Echo's designs. Mark Echo, can you, like, design my clothes day to day? Just like yeah, and then they change the rules in season eleven, where twenty minutes into the sixty minutes, you have to have one dish done. What? Yeah, that's fun. We need to have food right now plated to eat right now, and then they have to add a culinary curveball, like you must use uh, a a pressure cooker 
once per dish. No, no, it's not that you must use a pressure cooker. You must use the um, the Phillips brand pressure cooker or some shit. Yeah, it was like some product placement, and it was yeah. Just, oh, it was not. It's 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 stuff like that that made me just go, oh god, they're really hamming this up, and just ugh. A show that started October 10th, 1993 in Japan and then September 24th, 1999. Iron Chef America would have a more long-lasting series than the Japanese counterpart for some bizarre reason. But it gets even weirder because this is one of the only game shows that I could actually think of in the span of the recent history of, of America where they actually did it in the White House. <laughs> I don't remember that. They did that fucking White House episode. They had the White House Garden episode with Michelle Obama guest starring with Barack Obama (laughs) giving a special video message. Of course it was the Obamas. And it was Mario Batali and Emeril Lagasse, Bam, versus Bobby Flay and Christetta Comerford, who is, I believe, (laughs) who was an executive chef at the White House at the time. making it was a team game with the secret ingredient being all the produce came from the white house garden eat fresh fruits and vegetables folks jesus lord you my cat's scratching at the door sorry you ever read um anthony bourdain he wrote two very good three very good books i believe uh kitchen confidential and there's two i I love i like uh uh kitchen confidential um but like he talks a lot about emma uh, see, and he just trashes him in his first book. And then, like, later, he, uh, in other books, he talks about having his relationship with Lagasse post, like, calling him a dickhead and all his books and stuff and the sellout and, like, a piece of shit. And, um, he basically, like, the conversation he had with Lagasse was like, you know, you're a sellout and you have all these restaurants. What do you need the money for? And it's like, well, you know, I've been divorced three times and I have three kids in every single marriage. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> just like I need to make the payments, Anthony. I just and I'd be like, rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. By yeah, dude had the best out. career. I think Anthony Bourdain probably had like the best like late stage career because his whole the only gi- the only famous chef that doesn't puke in my mouth because because his whole final gimmick was just kind of like treat chefs with respect. Cheap cook with respect, working class solidarity. He was like a working class dude. Nothing more. I, I, I believe it's in one of his books. My restaurant started doing really well. That when I realized that if I treated cooks like human beings, like I had good results or something like that. Working- he does talk about like treating like the people underneath them with respect and just like I was like, oh, this is a good thing to do. Working class solidarity. <laughs> yeah, Bourdain uh, was it was a good guy. And then he just gets drunk and goes on tr- tour different countries. <laughs> and yeah, we'll forget about the time he went noodles with Barack Obama. <laughs> I, I I was that in Vietnam. I think that was Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. I just, just wanted to show him how good communism. Was. Comrade Bourdain. But if uh, you know, like if Obama or whatever wanted to start shit with Bourdain, at least there'd be some rice farmers around to protect him. He he did go after Mario Batali, by the way. Bordeaux. Did he go after? Did he have to go after Batali? Yeah, he, he went after Mario Batali, which is like fun. What did he say about Batali? Uh, just the section. Okay, let's see here. What is his the full article? Um, 
because he talked because it was all about the wine it was the weinstein hour the me too movement mm-hmm. and anthony bourdain wonders what he could have done to help uh, a lot of chefs who also undergone through it uh <clears throat> mario Vitale. ah dang let me go through this one uh anthony bourdain writes essay about uh complaints against mario Batali. I ain't woke. I was lucky enough to meet one truly extraordinary woman, Asia Argento. Asia Argento accused producer Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault. Um, and then it was also the investigation with sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, like this industry, it, it, it's if you're a woman chef, it's just expected that you're going to work uh, ten times harder than the male counterpart and probably go half as far. This industry is notoriously abusive towards women, and we don't talk about it. He ruined medium paced on December twelfth, twenty seventeen. Uh, I'm just not. I'm not going to read the entire thing, Anthony Bourdain. But this is where I'm going to just read the second, the first sentence in paragraph two. Any admiration I have expressed in the past for Mara Batali and Ken Friedman, whatever I might feel for them, however much I admired and respected them, is, in light of these charges, irrelevant. I will not waste anyone's time with expressions of shock, surprise, or personal upset beyond saying that I'm ashamed that I'm clearly not the kind of person that women friends who knew and had stories to tell felt comfortable confining in. You know, like, all I gotta say is maybe these bread tubers have something to learn from that single paragraph. You know, attention is the currency in the marketplace (laughs) of ideas. (laughs) Okay, if attention is the currency in the marketplace of ideas, what is not being a massive piece of shit? (laughs) <laughs> well, that's uh, clearly uh, uh, checks bouncing in the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> you see, like, if this second paragraph that Anthony Bourdain is the marketplace of ideas, and um, what Anthony Bourdain is doing is he's going to the payday loan of um, the marketplace <laughs> he's of ideas. He's going to the check advancement <laughs> counter. <laughs> Jesus. But he's, no, like he's doing some Venmo. Just, he's doing some Venmo. But, but straight up, like it doesn't matter what I said. It doesn't matter how I feel. These guys are dicks. Like that's like, like that sounds them. like Anthony Bourdain though. <laughs> yeah, like fuck yeah, Bourdain. Like hell yeah. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I could have done that in the Bourdain voice. I'll read again, just to, so I can do an Anthony Bourdain impression. Even though I, I'm not trying to ever do an impersonation of Anthony Bourdain. <clears throat> Any admiration I have expressed in the past for Mario Batali and Ken Friedman, whatever I might feel about them, however much I admired and respected them, is, in light of these changes, irrelevant. I like that show. Could you, like, I, I do feel like I, I, I love when, when he has those monologues. Those are the best ones, those ADR post-production. Bourdain has a good vo- or had a good voice. He's uh... No matter what country you live in, no matter what job you do, there's always going to be parties. There's always going to be a smile on someone's face and a family story within the confines of the city. Rather, it's late night partying or early morning hangovers. Everyone has a story to tell. It sucks that Bourdain, like, uh, very sadly committed suicide because, like, Hunter S. Thompson vibes, hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially when you like reread Kitchen Confidential, it's very Hunter S. Thompson vibes. Yeah, he had a very Hunter S. Thompson way of looking at the world, which is unfortunately probably why he cut his life short. 
but then again, isn't that also like the Vice kind of way of looking at the world too? <laughs> that Viceland. Yeah, but no, Bourdain. Like, I don't mean that in like a way. I mean, like his voice was like a very Hunter S. Thompson. Just he didn't give a shit. He was he but, was definitely, to say the least, the exact kind of punk rock anarchist chef that you want to have it as your friend. Uh, I got to double check real quick here because if I'm not mistaken. He didn't give a shit in the, um, in the, he cared a lot about other people, but he didn't give a shit, you know, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, do, 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 uh, Anthony Bourdain did not like Bobby Flay either. No, he didn't like a lot of them. He did not like a lot of these things. Uh, he admits he watches and enjoys Iron Chef America and its cheesy glory. Have you heard Bourdain, you heard what Bourdain had to say about um, man versus? Yeah, what did he say? Okay, so Anthony Bourdain's whole perspective on man versus food was um, that he was in the Middle East, specifically, I believe, was Iraq, <clears throat> and he um, <clears throat> he was saying that um, people where these shows are the most popular is in the Middle East, and he couldn't figure out why. And then he realized that it was like confirming. For a lot of people in the Middle East, like these, like this is post nine eleven. Like these, very like Americans are lazy and they're fucking gorging and they're terrible people who act like fucking pigs. It was confirming that for them. Like the most effective propaganda was something America was making. Yeah, <laughs> and basically along the lines, he was like, "Yeah, so if you like man for terrorists, win." Uh, <laughs> here is some of the things uh, Bourdain has said uh, Alton Brown, he's smart, you actually learn something from his commentary, I'll admit it I watch and enjoy Iron Chef America and all its cheesy glory Bobby Flay how does anyone actually believe that Bobby Flay can't make a better chili than a supermarket ground beef bearing amateur <laughs> it's a cruel exercise in humiliation I find the never to misuse of one of their founding chefs to be nauseatingly cynical <laughs> Mario Batali, is there any more egregiously underused, criminally mishandled, dismissively treated chef on television? Well, this was before those allegations. Relegated to the circus of Iron Chef America, where, like a great toothless lion fouling his cage, he hangs on and on a major draw. <laughs> and just finally, just because it's Food Network related, here's one that he said about Sandra Lee. Pure evil. This frightening hell spawn of Kathy Lee and Betty Crocker seems on a mission to kill her fans. One meal at a time, she must be stopped. There's more with Sandra Lee. I've just, I just, it's, I. You still with me? Yeah, I'm still with you. Did, did I pop out? No, you did not. It, what happens is Discord just keeps fucking over everyone right now because I think they're getting a little uh, messed up situation here. Um, the only one I think who actually did love Bourdain is Miyamoto because he is, because he is an Iron Chef Japan and he does have, uh, an actual like credibility. <laughs> like he has, you think he worked in Nobu? He has like Michelin stars to his name. Like he feels like he has, uh, he has some sort of like go golden star Miyamoto. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think see, so he was the only one that I, I I just I like the most. I like I like Miyamoto the most. The problem is I don't know if I want to be a judge on these shows because some of the food. Would you want to be a judge on Iron Chef and just like try to taste some of this stuff because it's like, oh boy, sacred ingredients, quail egg, and then you're just like, oh fuck. Yeah, I mean, like I don't give a shit about how these people are cooking. That's the thing, you know. Because it's all very pretentious, and it's all, you know, oh, it's a cucumber foam on top of, um, uh, this is sockeye salmon. Uh, I've crusted it in uh, red peppercorn. <laughs> I use and the chef, peppercorn. The chef, ju- the, the chef judge is like, oh, I really taste, like, the uh, inspiration you felt towards the secret ingredient, which was... Uh, cucumber because there's uh it's a very refreshing dish i like how your your judge sounds like george lucas <laughs> well it's um judge it rhymes it's very poetic uh, you could say these uh these ingredients rhyme together it <laughs> rhymes time together oh. <laughs> uh but yeah, like uh, the the thing is though, I I don't know how to handle an Iron Chef like revival, how to reboot it. Should the show even be rebooted? You want to reboot Iron Chef? You want to redo Iron Chef? Give me, <clears throat> don't give me famous chefs. Or if you're gonna give me a famous chef, like let's cut the fucking bullshit. Let's cut like the pre-planned portions. Give me a very famous chef, and then pick like. The greasiest cook you can find. The, even worse than Guy Fieri? Yeah, even worse than Guy Fieri. Give me, like, the family that's running a fucking barbecue restaurant in the deep south. And the secret ingredient is a ribs. And put them against, like, an incredibly competent and famous chef. <laughs> they have to make ribs in 60 minutes? <laughs> yeah, 60 minutes. You can do it. You gotta boil them, but you can do it. That'll be tough. But, like... What I'm saying is just like, you know, if you want it to be like, oh, we got our family, just give us something more real. I mean, like, like, well, what? I mean, like they try to do that, but like, oh, I know what you're saying like you want like if you're going straight into like this is America, you might as well like go all in with like get the hip most hippiest person to California cuisine. <laughs> well, so even with the Japanese version of these very list chefs that knew the styles the regional styles maybe they weren't the best within the regional style but you want some brooklyn guy from new joysy maybe or brooklyn making the meatballs i'm iron chef italian (laughs) or give me like the fucking give me two very good southern cooks from america give me two very accomplished french chefs who barely speak english and the secret ingredient is chicken. Now, see that now. I would watch that. Yeah, because it, it, they're 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 not even going to relate, like in what they're going to produce. And it's just it's going to be delicious, and it's going to be it's actually going to be a hard thing to judge. See, that's what I want. I want more culture clash. Yeah, I think that works. You need to have more culture clash. You need to have more like. I'd rather just have like this uh, re- repeat secret ingredient than like, even, oh, even then, yeah, you have to make an ice sculpture. <laughs> even then, like, yeah, give me like a clash culture of things. Like, give me a baked macaroni versus like what it, as a side versus like whatever salad, like someone who is like a classically trained tr- 
chef is going to come up. It's all about like, uh, the classic cuisine. Uh, but no, I like that. That's what I'm, I think this is the problem is like it's overproduced. What I would do is just break it down even worse. Yeah. I would try to make sure like if we're doing Iron Chef, no more pickups. I would try to, you know what I would do? Mm-hmm. Two hours, Friday nights, live. It's Saturday night? Like a Saturday night live. Like a Saturday <laughs> at 8 p.m., Food Network, 5, five, uh, five Pacific, 8 Eastern. You get a live kitchen stadium. You get like you get to see like here's the here's like the first part is like the the pregame interviews of of like here's two or three iron chefs that we've chosen for this contestant. We get the whole video package of the guy like hey I'm from this uh, I'm from the Hyatt, <laughs> and then Fuck. they enter the stadium. They get to choose live right then and there their person. I'm trying to remember the uh, name of the show, but are you familiar with the show that is basically the uh, Iron Chef of uh, Carnival Cooking? Iron Chef of Carnival. Carnival Eats? Carnival. I'm finding out right now. Carnival Eats. There was also uh, Just Desserts, Sumbo's Just Desserts, which we're talking about soon. Um, It was like a competitive show. Oh, Sweet Genius then, probably. Sweet Jeans was also a good candy show. Oh, Fair Food. It was Fair Food. It's um, called Fair Food. Deep, deep Fried Masters. I wanted... So then you have like a live kitchen stadium. Yeah, it was Deep Fried Masters. And that's what I would do. Two hours, you make Iron Chef live. Hell yeah. And you make it a real sports event then. Because if it's supposed to be sports themed, you make it sports oriented. You have the original stadium. You make it look like, you know, this is at like... I don't know. You wouldn't say ice hockey or NBA. <laughs> the NBA field. <laughs> no, it's a court. <laughs> but, but I also want to see like these very chefs. Find me like the backwater schlub. Oh, no. That, like, that's the idea. Is then you get like someone who's accomplished in one weird field. Yeah. Give me, give me the best. Like, cause I guarantee you like the best person in like Southern cooking or the best person. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, okay, this person won like three chili cook-offs. So they're going up yeah. against one of these three chefs. You want to go up against uh, me, uh, the, pioneer fucking... the Pioneer Woman, because it's Food Network. You want to go give up someone... against uh, uh, some, some four-star chef that we got down the street. Or, and then it's always like a third one option, always someone that's near and dear to them, which also makes it tough. Give me, give me the person who won like nine county kill- chili cook-offs in a row. And give me like Gordon Ramsay, give me Bobby Flay. Exactly. That's and they're gonna have a chili cook off. Oh, not a That's chili cook off. You still have to do the Iron Chef rules of five dishes in one hour, but you don't know the secret ingredient. You don't have any prep time. You don't have the five hundred dollar grocery list run around. You just have the basic ingredients that we have in the disposal. Yeah, I'm making chili, and then like fuck it, the other person's like, oh, well, you know, I I have flambéed the um, the brandy and um uh, zucchini and uh, and then like, and then it's like chorizo like that's the secret ingredients chorizo and it's like well it's something that could be used <laughs> of in course chili. the chili's gonna be better <laughs> oh like it's you don't want a chili you know, cook-off that makes it a totally different game show but but I, I just want the person that comes on it like that's their special <laughs> making chili 
And it's like, oh, this secret ingredient is chorizo. And like, oh, you know, I've poached the chorizo. And, uh, yeah, and this guy's just like, I'm just going to stick it in the chili. <laughs> I'm just grounded <laughs> it up. I just de-skinned it. I made put it in chili. chili. <laughs> I, took it, I, I took it out of the casing and put it in the pot. And <laughs> I just, it's simmering chili. now. <laughs> yeah. Give, give, give me the guy who's like the best chili cook and put him against like because I want to see normal people against these fucking um, so you want pros versus Joe's chef. the chef edition because I guarantee like the guy who's won the county cook off for chili is makes a better chili than Gordon Ramsay or oh probably that, that was the whole premise of throwdown with Bobby Flay was it yeah it was, it was like oh this person won like a chili cook off or this person won like the best hamburger in all of Seattle so then it's just, we're going to do a Food Network video package on you, but the secret is that I'm going to jump in and then I'm going to challenge you to a battle of who can make the best hamburger. <laughs> Fuck. And then it's and then it's all like espionage. Well, they're doing this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. Secret's the... And then they get three judges, and then it's like, who wins? Okay, so like, obviously, if I had to reimagine like American fucking iron uh, chef iron chef that's the show we're talking about um the uh secret ingredient would probably be like a cut of meat or a grain or something you realistically could like plant a dish around not like oh it's um it's a celery it's uh, like or cucumber that's a fucking aromatic that's piss off you don't want onion you want oh you know like the secret ingredient is onion the right no. secret ingredient is cauliflower. Which I'm sure, like, everything we've said is a, has been an episode. But yeah, you want to, like, but that, that's the kind of thing I was thinking is you've got to make it sports broadcast live two hours. So you have enough for a pregame warm up video package, the one hour cook time being done in real time. And then you have that post 30 minutes, which is flip a coin who gets to. It's challenger goes first, then the Iron Chef, because you know home field advantage because of the Iron Chef. <clears throat> yeah, and then they get the critiques. There's the first five minutes or first five to ten commercial break, five to ten minutes, and then that's it. Like right, the final like three minutes is here's the results. Who's going to win? And then even if you want to, you can just scrap the I choose the Iron Chef part. You can really just make it feel like a sports event. Then yeah, I, I agree. It's it's the uh it, it's it's Seattle versus New York. It's uh it's Texas versus Cincinnati. It's uh New would, Jersey versus I would also like to see like like a theme as well and maybe maybe it's like it's going to tap into the arrogance of these accomplished fucking iron chefs, you know, it's um you know Bobby Flay and then it's the chef of a Chinese restaurant or the chef of like a you know, like a diner, and it's like uh, the secret ingredient is as much of an ingredient as it is like diner food or Chinese ingredients. Because then you try, but then you can do something with like just soy sauce and just see what happens. Secret ingredient is soy sauce, and they'll fucking drink it in the back and die. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's a very depressing look at him. <laughs> but no, it it would be cool to see like the chef that's supposed to be like these fucking titans of the industry, these lottery winners go against like a Joe blow, but in their wheelhouse. I, I think you should watch Thread and Bobby Flay. Cause I think you're just explaining that. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, no, he doesn't get swirly though. <laughs> That's the idea though. Is I want to see like, fucking like accomplished chef just be like get spanked on live TV by some greasy dude in an apron who's making pancakes or something. <laughs> yeah, I want a pancake battle with like some guy who works at a diner. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, Matt, yeah, uh, we're near the end of the show, unfortunately. <laughs> we love Iron Chef. I think it needs to be a sports broadcast, though. I think it needs to be live. It can't be this give overproduced give me, give me, bullshit. Give me ESPN. Um, ESPN uh, can, we get, can we get like an ESPN? Like ESPN version? vibe. Like We want ESPN yeah. directors. We want, like, if you're going to get Alton Brown to be like a chairman now, he, he has to be chairman. He can't be like... I also have another idea where it's Thunderdome kind of deal. Okay. Where the secret ingredient is the loser of the last episode. Uh, I don't think we can do it. I don't think that's allowed. <laughs> I don't think that we can promote cannibalism. Not yet, though. We have to wait and see. You never know if we're going to go into nuclear war in the next couple of months. I think it would be exciting. Uh, <laughs> before... Like, they, they just lift that little ray up and hide and screaming. Uh, well, Matt, <laughs> we have time for one final question here. We don't do speedruns. We have one final question. <clears throat> Excellent. If you had to pick a fight with any Iron Chef, past or present, who would they be and why? Oh, Bobby Flay, 100%. You're Bobby Flay. Uh, I mm. forgot to tell you, the secret ingredient is oranges. Oranges? Oranges. Um, we, we know what they say, a bag of oranges don't leave no bruise. Are you going to just beat him upside the head with oranges? I'm going to beat him with a bag of oranges until he like screams for me to stop. Sorry, when I ask for, for my orange juice, I ask for no pulp. It's orange juice. <laughs> so, man, what would you like to plug? <laughs> um, I feel like at this point, Alcoholics Anonymous, because I've had like four beers. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, the Bible. The good, the good, the good I, book. I, I, I want a big shout out, God. Uh, <laughs> you know, as always, my partner Brianne uh, on Twitter is Bri Aggressive. I believe she is a right. very smart and wonderful person. Uh, I, I to if you plug. like her so much, why don't you marry her? June. Um, I want to plug this show. Uh, follow me on Twitter at normal underscore Matt. Or find me on YouTube at Brianna and Matt and um, trans rights and um, believe victims. Believe victims, trans rights. I think I said. I think that's how we ended it last time. I think we should end it with that way too. Excellent, Matt. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks for tolerating me. <laughs> Thanks again to Matt for stopping by. I had a lot of fun talking about Iron Chef. You know, it's uh, like every single time I think about Iron Chef, I always think about like things like, you know, like Kaga taking the bite of the yellow bell pepper. That became like a YTMD meme. And then when it came over here, yeah, they switched the bell pepper to the green apple. But then they also like made sure that the Mr. Green had this over the top reaction like scallop. And I, I don't know. Sometimes that overproduction just irks me sometimes if that makes sense even though i'm always fascinated by it i still think there's a possibility you can do an iron chef again but 
because everything needs to be over the top. I don't know if it's because of anime or because of the need to be just that kung fu kind of uh, over the top reaction that a lot of productions want to stem from anything that is of Eastern descent. I don't know. But uh, when I was finishing the review, I picked up, if you can hear this, uh, probably not. I have with me the uh, Iron Chef board game. This is Iron Chef board game, the ultimate cooking challenge. This is from Tommy, ages eight and up, two to four players, no cooking required. <laughs> oh, thank God for that, because I'm a bad cook. Um, anyway, I'm going to read off the, uh, the, the back of this. Here we go. Uh, Yomigeru Ayan Shefu. Welcome to life, Iron Chef. Welcome to Kitchen Stadium. Get ready for the codfish and tomatoes to start flying as the Iron Chef colon ultimate cooking challenge comes to your home. Based on the hit TV show Iron Chef, this frantic board game pits four culinary challengers against each other in a race to build the perfect meal. Do you prefer Chinese, French, Italian, or how about Japanese? It all begins when the surprise ingredient is revealed. Spin the wheel and race about the board in an attempt to assemble a complete meal. Appetizer, main course, and dessert. The Real Iron Chef's chopped ice and mints. You need to collect, trade, and discard cards to beat your opponents. But pitfalls abound. Watch out for dull knives, burnt vegetables, and stoves that won't work. Complete your meal, enter the inner circle of Kitchen Stadium, and await the judge's decision. Defend your title. Will you be king of Iron Chef? A la cuisine. Uh, this is <laughs> made in China. Fuji Television logo on the back here. This was, I remember playing this with friends, like, a few months back, and it sucked. <laughs> but, uh, I, I like the little wheel, because there's, like, a little Chairman Kaga statuette. This is so weird. I'm playing it right now. Let's see here. Let's let's spin the wheel. Because it's a little wheel thing. Here we go. Hear that? Here here we go. It, it's a four. I'm going to move four spaces, I guess. All right. <laughs> I have fun with Iron Chef. I still think it's a fun show, though. Uh, and the, the way the mind works when culinary game shows, it's one of those things where it's like, that's one of the precursors. If it wasn't like Ready, Steady, Cook, it's Iron Chef. And that leads to a bunch of the culinary contests that we see to this day. So uh, next time, we'll be talking about another great game show. But before we get to that... We have a 110-part series exploring every pricing game from The Price is Right. This is The Pricing Game Spotlight. Switch? Because there's a question mark. I have to say it like, Switch? Switch. Switch. Premiere date, February 27th, 1992, 8324D. Finale date, Barker, June 12th, 2007, 4032K. Premiere date, Drew Carey, October 18th, 2007, November, July 2nd, 2008. This is the most dangerous pricing game out there. In Switch, contestants ask whether to keep the prices of two prices the same or switch so the two prices go to the opposite prize. Hence, the question mark. 
Two prices are shown with the prices for each. The contestant must decide whether the prices should stay where they are or should they be switched. Upon switching the prices, uh, well, a little song plays. Uh, it's not listed on the pricing game uh, wiki, but I will tell you right now, it is called The Head Clown by Ole George. And let's play a little sample of that. Let's pretend we're about to switch. Uh, let's switch the prizes. And I know what you're saying. Did you get the request from Ola George to play that? And no, I did not. Uh, don't don't tell anybody I play that. But uh, the head clown is the song for, for for Switch, if you do a Switch. And the reason I know that is because back in the day, I did have a VHS copy of Fantastic Football Bloopers, Blunders, and Fails. Uh, and... <laughs> That was the theme to that crappy VHS tape. That was the one with like wacky fumbles and people breaking their legs and we're supposed to have a laugh about it. I think that's somewhere on YouTube right now. So uh, hopefully I can take notes here and remind people, go see the fantastic football bloopers, blunders, and fails. Uh, There's my plug for that. Uh, Anyway, Switch is an AB game. I love AB games. Uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, it's, it's also the same music used in Switcher, uh, Roo. uh, anyway, originally think, uh, music from Check Game and Make Your Move was used. Then the models would spin the wheels of the tiles to reveal the right prices when Bob was host, the left model would go first, then the right, uh, same scenario with Doug Davidson, but when Drew took over, the models did at the same time. A correct decision won the game and the two prizes. Uh, when the game was first played on February 22nd, 1992, it received its very first win. The game was played for a car six times, four times in daytime, two times in primetime. On January 5th, 2010, contestant Alexander Clem opted to switch the prices. However, Amber revealed the price of one of the prices, even withdrew repeatedly telling this. Despite her decision being incorrect, Drew declared a technical win, and Alexandra won both prizes. On the Halloween episode on October 31st, 2013, Switch was renamed Witch, and that playing was lost. Since Drew became host, he often tells the models not to bump or run into each other whenever the prizes were switched. The models usually play along, making a dramatic show of avoiding each other. Bob, on the other hand, never did so. Switch was played four times on the primetime version, and on every playing, it has received a win. June 22nd, 2016, a contestant named Bridget decided to switch prices but lost, and it spoiled a perfect show. Shame on you, Bridget. Uh, September 19th, 2016, it was played for two cars but was lost because the prices were not switched. October 24th, 2016, the prices were being switched. The beginning of Switch Room music was actually used instead of normally using the end bars. Uh, on a Dream Car Week episode, uh, Air Dive or Switch was played for two trips. One to the Indy 500, the other to the Daytona 500. Both trips were won, and then contestant uh, decided to switch the prizes. Most number of times it was played in any season was 37. Uh, this has distinct 90s graphic because of the circle. Like, circle question mark. It's very, um, reminds me of, of, like, Crystal Pepsi in a way. Uh... You ever see that Van Halen right now uh, music video with like right now there are people with a and there's always like that little contrast like a black with a white or in this case it's purple with yellow. I don't know. Um, And it's distinct different graphics and because there is no uh, light ups this also is an easy switch up. (laughs) But um, 
it, it's it's a nice fun little game and the fact that the reveals are not done by like flipping a, a name tag it's done by like pushing up and then watching like a like a mini wheel just dial it to reveal is also a nice dramatic push and it's not so much do you know what one price is it's two prices and it also acts as an ab game which makes it such a smart game it's two prizes played, but it's an A-B game, stick or twist. And stick or twist, as you might know by now, is a mechanic in all the decision-making of game shows. Do you stay where you are, or do you want to keep playing? You see the prices where they are. Do you want to keep them, or do you want to switch them? That's what it is. Basically, true-false. Is this right? Is this wrong? If it's wrong, we switch. Or do you think this is where it is? That, that's the game. I love it. I love Switch. Switch is also one of my favorite AB games on The Price is Right. And also the clown corn music, because it reminds me of the time when people fumbled the ball or, or get a ball thrown and they hit themselves in the balls. That's funny. <laughs> when people get hurt, they got hurt. They go, oopsie doodle, oops, ow, ow. <laughs> they got hurt. Anyway, we're talking about pricing games. Uh, anyway, uh, next time on the Pricing Game Spotlight, we are talking about buy or sell. It's time to play Hot Ones, the game show. Welcome to the Pepperdome. Where surviving the world's hottest sauces pays off and people burn their faces off for money. $25,000 in their pockets. Hot Ones, the game show starts now. <laughs> So I saw Hot Ones the Game Show. That just debuted on uh, True TV based off the popular web series where Sean Evans asks uh, really hot questions to celebrities as they eat spicy chicken wings to answer questions comes a new trivia game show. Uh, look, I'm going to just flat out say this This should only last a season. This doesn't. This isn't really a fun show to watch, but I will go through the rigmarole of what the show is. It's two teams of two, and they have to answer trivia questions for money. At the end, one player, uh, one team goes to the final round where they get $25,000, which is premium game show minimum. Uh, as people will remember, we have game show minimum, which is 10000 and premium game show minimum, which is $25,000. Uh, so here's how it works. If you've never seen the show, there's three rounds of gameplay with two teams of two. In each of these three rounds... They have to eat, uh, eat a spicy wing. Then there's a trivia game played, and in the first two games, it's on the buzzer for money. Uh, for round one, it's the the sauce is called Brain Burner. All the sauces they use on the show are custom owned uh, IP sauces, like the Last Dab. Um, so I'm always on par with this. Uh, by the way, I think this is from the first We Feast people, who is owned by Complex. So this is also interesting. So the fir first game is. Uh, brain burner seven out of ten uh they are then told by the audience to clean that wing no really like it's almost game show tastic of clean that wing as we're introduced to them like smoke and fire and heat and looks like a wwe intro in the first game that we saw in this premiere episode the game was called you can count on it all the answers had numbers in the title with the first question, if you buzz and getting it correctly, worth $100. If you're wrong, however, 
the opponents get the $100. The second question in round one is worth $200. And question three is worth $300. So if you're going by scale, a uh, scoring system of one, two, three, you can tell pretty much that, well, if you get the first two right and the third one wrong, you just tied the game up. So really, it, it's kind of a weird mechanism of scoring, but it's common in the world of game shows. First question worth one, question two worth two, question three worth three. And as they clean the wing and then they get asked these trivia questions, because it's only the one wing, uh, they're, of course, in hot, hot pain. They're doing, ow, that's hot, ow, that's spicy, ow, ow, ow. Uh, Sean Evans has to play Sean Evans, the YouTuber. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's spicy. As the heat is in your body, we're going to go answer some questions. Um... What makes the show very interesting is when it cuts to commercial, you get it behind the scenes and you see a lot of EMTs and you see a lot of PAs and you're seeing them in real pain. And while it's interesting to see behind the scenes of a game show, seeing this play out makes me really hate the show even more. It makes me feel like there are sadistic game show producers out there. And while you appreciate like hot ones for the for the format, this game show version of it makes you feel like this is just painful to watch and hurtful. Like these are people who probably it's, I know it's like twenty five thousand. It's like fun money, but it's also like sadistic in a way where it's like these people are just going on a game show probably because they like the show Hot Ones, and now they're eating spicy wings and they're talking to medics. Because they're seeing, they have blurry vision. Round two, they have a new sauce, Eye of the Scorpion. It's a 9 out of 10. And they must clean the wing as they play a new game called Mouthing Off, which is a visual game where they see a close-up of a mouth. And as it grows out, you have to buzz in and determine who the celebrity is. First one's worth $200. Seconds were 400. Third questions were 600. If no one buzzes in, just like in round one, uh, the score, the money's just gone for good. I should also point this out that it's just the same as round one, but with double the dollars. So very, very lazy in terms of scoring in this case. Uh, so after the first two rounds, which are nearly the same, eat a wing, uh, you're all getting celebrated, and then play a game. Uh, round three is when we get to a different format point, but when I mean that, I mean, it's only different because it's three questions and you still have to eat a spicy wing, but instead of cleaning the entire wing, which is multiple bites, uh, it is only, you take one single bite of a new sauce called the constrictor, which is 10 out of 10. As you play a game called Mount Scoville, because of the Scoville unit, you get it? You get it? The Scoville unit. Uh, so... What happens is it's kind of like a fame game question. So I think whoever's been creating this format definitely had some recognition of game shows because the who am I, what am I kind of question type is very rare in the world of game shows, at least in the 2020s uh, so far. So uh, Sean Evans will ask, will give a clue like, um, uh, let's see here. I am uh, the, I am some i mean you might find me in the stock market uh i'm a team in chicago i'm the washington mutual mascot you might say if i'm not lying i'm not giving you this and then someone eventually buzzes in and says bull uh 
If you're right, though, you get money, but you also have to take the bite of the spicy wing again. Uh, the first question's worth $1,000. The second question's worth $2,000. And the third question's worth $3,000. Basically 10 times the amount of the first round category. Also, almost negating the entirety of the first two games. Uh, if you go mathematically, the perfect game is 7,800. So theoretically, if you're a math buff, you just need to reach $4,000 to lock it in, which is, to say the least, very impossible in the first two games. So you can't real. So there could be a comfort behind victory if you're just good in the Mount Scoville game. Uh, is it a is it technically a uh, golden snitch because the third question each round is uh, basically winner take all, and the third question's worth three thousand dollars? Kind of. Uh, whoever has the most money at the end of three rounds goes on to the final round, the Ring of Fire, where they can win $25,000. What I do like is, I don't know if, if they bring it up, I think the losing team does get to keep their money no matter what happens, which is like good because they're in physical pain. They should have some money. Um, in the final round, unlike a trivia show, it now becomes a clue game. So if you love a celebrity name game, a Hollywood Game Night Pyramid, Get a Clue, 25 Words or Less, you will enjoy the final round called The Ring of Fire, where they have five, uh, they have to have one shot, like like a physical shot glass, full of all, this, all the sauces mixed together of the first three. So the Brain Buster, the Constrictor, and the Io Scorpion, and then they add one final sauce to the mix, the last dab, which wasn't shown in the in the format. I'm thinking the original format was just the last dab, but mm. so when they have to take a shot, then one person's a clue giver, one's the clue guesser, and they have to get five right in sixty seconds. I think there's a lot. I think there's there's a bank of ten different clues. So the whole goal is basically convince something to your friend so like a celebrity like margot roby or an object like a hoarder uh to try and get them closer to the ring now the first four rings are like graphically illustrated by an led but the fifth and final one is a giant flaming wall and in the center is an is basically dry ice and a nice frosty milkshake uh and in the quote of uh this of this game milkshakes are for winners only so thanks sean um then what i saw a spoiler the team won is as they were celebrating and running towards the circ the center because the milkshakes and hugging it out uh the emt had to quickly push them away because there was smoke coming out of the arena because i just want to remind people there's a live flame in the studio they decided the visual prop of fire would be great to have in the game show. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, uh, there was also a lot of flavor text. Uh, the The studio arena is called the Pepperdome. Uh, the the audience had two, not one, but two. Uh, different catchphrases clean that wing and then when it's the ring of fire round apparently everyone knows this it's three two one fire in the hole whoever's the writer on this i'm i i feel bad for them because something tells me this is not their gig they want to do and it's just like as much as i like oh wow game show things like three twin fire in the hole feels very improv comedy writer and game show writing is their second or third gig 
It doesn't feel like this is what they really want to do. It could be someone who works at Complex who works on Hot Ones, and they had to come up with a game show catchphrase. Um, whereas the first three rounds were all kind of trivia and cerebral. This one's kind of a partner game, and I guess it's kind of fun, but if the whole gimmick is, ow, ow, it's spicy, and everyone's face is all sweaty and hot and burning, it's just kind of just nauseous to watch if that makes sense it's kind of like the gimmick of oh that's hot ow 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 that's spicy it kind of just eh, it doesn't really work if that makes sense um anyway i just want to say that the, the the show does suck but i like hot ones the reason I like hot ones is not because the spice wings. I don't like spicy food. I enjoy spice thing. I'm a hot sauce aficionado, so this should be right up my alley. But it reminds me so much of Distraction, where the gimmick is, oh, wow, that's spicy over and over again, and you're desensitized to that within the first or second act. Sean Evans is a great host. He's a great interviewer. He's a great personable guy. So I like him in this. The other thing I like about this is it's a half-hour format, but so you have 22 minutes of this versus, say, an hour long. Imagine this was an hour long. Oh, geez. And there is some humor, but the, the, the reason this show doesn't work is, like I said, game shows need to be aspirational. So I assume the contestant pool is fans of Hot Ones, hopefully. So it was that aspiration of if I was a celebrity and Sean Evans asked me questions while eating spicy wings... That would be the cue. Um, but uh, the problem with Hot Ones is uh, basically as the show grew in popularity, the celebrities would just show up to it to eat the spicy wings to plug their next movie or TV show or book. And it's just another Fallon or Corden bit where it's, oh, look at the celebrity do something stupid. And it makes you wonder, like, is this really what being a celebrity is? You just kind of have to do dumb bits and lose all credibility and embarrassment so you can plug something because you're forced into it by a studio. That's kind of where I feel about this. So if you're a celebrity, and let's just throw this out here. Uh, I'm going to always put me in the perspective of a celebrity because it's easy if it's me. Put yourself in this. Imagine I'm a celebrity. Imagine I uh, I am now uh, a bit. Imagine game shows. I suppose uh, hit it off big, and now there's a spinoff where I get to host a game show, or I host a talk show, or I host. Or now I'm in a movie. I'm in a comedy film. I am uh, the voice of uh, Toad in the Super Mario Brothers movie. I play uh, Commissioner Gordon in the Batman uh, Nightwing. I don't give a shit. Um, and now I have to sit down and talk to Sean Evans. And Sean Evans is going to go through the 10 spicy wings. Got to go through the gauntlet. Oh, what do you think of this sauce? Oh, when you were doing this, what was your thing? What did you say was your favorite thing growing up? Things like that are usually his, his questions. And I eat the sauce. Oh, uh, it's spicy. The idea of this show isn't the spicy wings, although that is something for the heat seekers. It's not necessarily get to know the celebrity either, because a lot of the time it's just canned answers or it's they get distracted by, oh, fuck, that's spicy. And that's kind of the joke. It's the interview from hell, literally, because it's all spicy wings. So they're going, oh, shit, this is spicy. Oh, fuck, this is spicy. And Sean Evans is also eating the wings and he's used to it. So you can kind of see like, oh, it's kind of funny. But what works is 
and this is where I come from from when I watch Hot Ones. And this is why I don't really care for the later seasons when they try and bullshit their way into things like... Like, Margot Robbie was in the most recent Hot Ones to do the Birds of Prey. Now, I like Birds of Prey. I think that's a good movie. But when I see Margot Robbie eat the spicy wings and then suddenly... Well, we have the Birds of Prey cast here to eat some spicy wings with us, too. That just took me out of the entire scene. Now I just think of it as, oh, they're just plugging birds of prey and here are our friends because we're all friends right it reminds me of star wars in that regard like no the cast aren't all friends they're all actors this is a gig they're all they're all trained to act they're not trained to be friends this is not a friendship thing stop trying to put social media everybody's a friend parasocial relationship into the world of theatrical acting I mean, I'm sure they can get along just fine. I mean, if there was no chemistry on set or or on scene, it, it would probably be disasters of movies, I assume. But to have them show up and then eat a spicy chicken wing took me out of it. Because to me, at least in my mind, when I see a celebrity on the Hot One show, I think this is a one and done. This is the one and only opportunity they have to do the gauntlet. This is the one and only time they have to plug anything. They're eating the spicy wings. And that's it. When you're putting in celebrities with the celebrities, then it just goes like, ugh. Then you're just kind of just, blah. Oh, they're just there for this. And that, to me, is what most of Hot Ones now feels like. It feels like someone misconstrued what was the original idea for what I thought was Hot Ones, which is spicy wings and personal questions. Now that it's kind of feels like, Oh, well, we can't really go into too personal because it's micromanaged by the agent and the manager. And we need to make sure this is kind of marketable. So we'll get Sean out to be on like Colbert or the Today Show and they'll eat spicy wings. And the would be funny to see like a, a host go, ah, it's spicy. Ha <laughs> ha, it's funny. It's a funny show. You're funny, funny. <sighs> then when you do a quiz show, the idea is that the aspiration of being that celebrity, you know, in the spicy wings and answering questions, that's all you have for it. But what's the aspiration outside of the Hot Ones universe? And it's not there. If you are not, if you've never seen Hot Ones before, if you are just someone flipping the channel and you're just seeing some person like sweating profusely because, oh my God, spicy wings, that's not a pleasant experience to watch. And to me, that is what drags me away from the show altogether. Now, I love Hot Ones. I think the show is funny when you see a very personal question, something that's about like growing up in high school and being made fun of and bullied, and it's this rapper or a musician, and they're like, no one believed in me except for this one person, and they're about to cry. And they're really giving like a personal anecdote here. And then they're, but the joke is because it's so personal, they're crying, but they're also sweaty as fuck. That's kind of the thing that I enjoy the most because they do the research on the celebrities and it's great when they ask those questions. Later seasons don't do that. This is not the hot ones, the interview game show review. This is a game show review, but because later seasons overformulated to the point of it's, I, I hate to say there's a crystal maze overproduced. But it's overproduced. Someone who's thought I know what the show is is now lending their hands in that, and it's now micromanaged to the point of like, okay, so uh, is Ben Schwartz going to show up to talk Sonic the Hedgehog? What other Marvel movies? Black Widow. So therefore, Scarlett Johansson might show up this season. 
there there really isn't anything exciting. Is is Lil Nas going to show up next? Uh, is uh, what's what's the guy's name from uh, Mask Singer? Nick Cannon. Is Nick Cannon going to show up? Is Will Arnett to promote Lego Masters going to show up? It, it it's too formulaic. Which YouTubers are going to show up this season? I don't know. Don't care. I think it's just bad when they when it becomes this part. But then again, that's the YouTube game. That's what happens. Plus, I mean, it's, it's true of most formats that end up being successful. This game show does not work uh, for in the game show world because of the scoring aspect and the way that it's trying to appeal to a very, very, very niche market. Now, if this was just a YouTube like special series, like First We Feast just has like eight episodes of the Hot Ones game show and it's exclusive to the First We Feast YouTube channel, I would be okay with this because this would make sense. It would get like 50,000 views and we're done. But this is a true TV show. So someone pitched this to true TV execs, and they did that same goddamn approach that I hate so fucking much when it comes to internet shit into the television or movie world. Some poor bastard went to the execs and went, well, you know, uh, Hot Ones makes about 5 million views. Uh, it has like 12 million subscribers. So if we just get like 10% of those, that's 1.2 million viewers. Uh, that's going to be a hit in my book. And they never put in perspective cable networks or people not really giving a shit about true TV other than Practical Jokers repeats. It, it just it, It's just not an interesting show in this regard. The games are fine. The questions are fine. Uh, the theming is fine. The set looks nice. Like, a lot of this stuff looks fine. But the premise, which is the initial format point of it, forget the buzz and answer questions, you're right, if you're wrong, your opponent gets it. Because that's just basic the premise relies on you eat spicy wings it's hot and you're in pain while answering the questions that is the format point of hot ones the game show otherwise it's just a bland gsn game show in my regard it just becomes like a a, a quiz show on gsn if it if they did not have the hot ones like ip or sean evans or hot ones wings and they would probably only take like 12 minutes to play uh because a good chunk of it really is just, oh, it's hot. Oh, it's hot. That's what I'm seeing for a good chunk of the show. It is okay. It is fine. It's not the worst game show I've ever seen. Is it the worst game show I've seen this year so far? Yes. This is the worst game show I've seen so far this year. This gets a D-. minus. I think it should not have existed on true tv this should have been a youtube series uh the only reason it's not a failure is you got sean evans to host and sean evans is that brand and he is still a charismatic guy he's still a personable guy i'd still want to be friends with with sean evans i want to eat wings with sean evans but something tells me and this is in my back of my mind what i'm thinking sean evans does not want to be the first we feast hot ones guy he doesn't want to be known for the guy who eats spicy chicken wings and asks questions to celebrities. I think he has his own projects he wants to deal with, and this just kind of, in a way, just kind of sets him back a bit. And I know he can do better, and I love Sean Evans. I think he's great. 
But before we go, there is just one question we have to talk about. And that is, we come to the top, we went through all the sauces, we went through Mount Scoville, we saw the scorpion, we saw the brain buster, we mixed all the sauces together and we did a clue game. But one question still remains, should there be a season two? And that's why I say no, it's not. Um... So look over there, that camera, and that camera right there. Do you have anything to plug? Do you have anything to plug? Let me go. You just climbed the complete gauntlet. That's how you do it right here. On the... Look, my original bit was I was going to eat spicy wings and then review this, but I, I'm bored. <laughs> I, I just do not like the show. Um, and I think if I had spicy wings while watching this, I'd be probably just as miserable, but at least have more fun. So for the immersive experience, I recommend you watch Hot Ones, the game show, while eating spicy wings. Because other than that, you're really not going to get anything out of it. Uh, so final grade, D-, minus. do not recommend unless you're a fan of Hot Ones. Oh yeah, and in the Ring of Fire, if you fail, no bonus money. You just get whatever you have. So really, it's just uh, 25000 if you get all five or nothing else. Forgot to add that in the final round, so... If you don't beat the Ring of Fire, no milkshake for you, just the cash you made in the first game. Yeah, so D minus. Uh, just eat spicy wings. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> and that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you can listen to other episodes over at jordanhaas.com slash podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play and even Spotify. Drop me a comment. Let me know what game shows you want me to talk about for future installments. And not only that, say hi to me on Twitter over at jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. Say hello. I'll be your friend. Maybe. I don't know. Also, we are on uh, Facebook. I, I keep forgetting we are on Facebook over at Game Shows Podcast. So like it and say hello there, too. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by. I always love talking to you guys about game shows, and I always love uh, hearing some feedback. Join me again next week when we'll be talking about another great game show, I suppose. Until then, good night and big smooch. Mwah! <laughs>